Welcome to Prussian Socialism, bringing you Hitler, whether you like it or not. So, William, I, we've been talking about doing this series for a while, and we actually already started doing it, but then uh, I didn't really like the recording. We're going to talk about Mein Kampf, because there's so much in here that's so good, and that, you know, we've, we haven't really talked about this specifically on the show. We've mostly talked about the other historical and cultural background to the National Socialist Movement, to Germany and, and, and Europe in general. But there is so much in Mein Kampf that isn't understood, uh, even by people in you know this broader movement, that we need to go through. And so we're, we're going to start actually sort of in an odd place, and we're going to start with Chapter 12 of Part 1 of Mein Kampf. And the reason for that is the first uh, 11 chapters are mostly how Hitler became a Nazi, and right, how yeah. he developed his worldview and, and his red pill story is right. 11 chapters. It's and then quite a long red pill story. <laughs> right. And, and it's it's the kind of thing like I was reading this probably a lot back in 16, 17 uh, when I was going through the same stage. And it, it came across a lot of it as maybe a little bit over the top. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> but you go back and you read it now and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just common sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like I... It was a little different for, like, I, the first half of Mein Kampf was kind of always on the back burner for my, my reading taste or whatever. Cause I've read it, like, so I've read Mein Kampf when I was 14 and, like, it didn't resonate because I, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't need to be red pilled at the time or whatever. I already knew the deal, but it was kind of boring, uh, unfortunately to me yeah. as a, as a, as a youth, uh, to read the first part. Uh, but the second part was my favorite because it was all the, the really juicy, political and ideolo uh, ideological uh, stuff and that is the that's like the thing that I tend to recommend people to read is, yeah. is part two but I'm glad that again that we're starting here on chapter uh, chapter 12, 12. Of, of book one because it's the preface right it's, it's the last chapter of book of part one yeah and you and, have to read that in order to get really it, into part two right um, and that's gets kind of thing so like if for all of our readers like while reading part one is fantastic and you should do it I, everybody should read you know Mein Kampf cover to cover but if you're going to specifically select a part of Mein Kampf to read, start with chapter 12 of, of book one and then read all of book two. Because what he's answering here is how do you build a mass movement? It, it, well, he's actually more general than that. He's saying, okay, now you understand the race issue, the Jewish issue, international finance. You understand all that. Yep. What are you going to do about it? Right. And this is where he <laughs> answers that. Mm. Uh, and he says a lot of things that, Amer well, I mean, conservatives uh, uh, of all stripes do not understand right and and you in this this chapter really is the key to explaining why so many political movements and efforts have failed and will continue to fail mm -hmm. pat buchanan conservatism <laughs> or, or, or or ross perot is another one uh why these things that actually do on a superficial level seem like they might be able to challenge zog power uh, don't will not have the strength to actually win out in the end right and it and you know people say well hitler lost it's like well yeah but he he is the greatest opposer of jewish international money power of all time right by far it took so i think we ought to take him seriously right it took the whole world to bring him down like it took yeah. the entire might of zog right. to bring down it took, and it took one the, the four biggest empires in the world america USSR, Britain, and France. And it broke two of them. Plus, plus, yeah, and it broke two of them, and plus all their, like, satellite states and bitch states yeah. to take down Germany and, like, Italy and, like, Hungary. Right. Basically Romania, Germany. <laughs> Finland. Like, a bunch of other little states. Yeah. And, like, 
Oh, in the Japanese. Right, yeah. You know, so like, the, and and it, honestly, we don't even have to, to worry about the Japanese theater of things. That's a totally different beast right, in that's of itself. T- well, and, and actually, add in the Fifth Empire, China. Right, yeah. China was involved in that uh, too. But it's even for the European states, right? If we're talking about, if we're talking about just the European side of the war, right? Like just Russia, the United States, France, England versus Germany. Um, it broke half of that alliance. I mean, France and England lost their entire empires over this nonsense, right? Just to bring down one one country in the heart of Europe. Right. And it, all Hitler did was break away build, from the build a mass banks. movement, take over Germany, and then and he, he would have been happy to stop there, but yeah. uh, he had to fight World War II because they were... The, the international Jewish money system will not allow you to be an independent white country right. operating by yourself that's, and, and, and that's, politically free of money control. Right. And it's, it's, that's uh, that's evident in all the different uh, literature that came out about, you know, Germany must perish and all this other stuff or, or Churchill saying that we have to destroy Germany and all this other stuff. They had a, a very serious drive to destroy Germany and that was kind of around since the, the turn of the century anyway uh, because they wanted their old power structures to, to maintain. But you can see how that happens is that if you become too rigid uh, in, in your in your um, in your approach, you can snap just like a, a dry twig, right? And that's kind of what happened with uh, the Western powers is they became way too, uh, way too rigid in their in their desire to destroy Germany, and then it destroyed themselves in the, in the process. Um, so you had a, basically the the fall of Europe was 1945. Yeah, a couple things before we start going into this. I'm for the most part just going to read entire sections of this, and <laughs> as so this was sort of your your uh, national socialist. Uh, literature class i'll read whole sections of it and then we'll break it down and explain it because if you don't know the historical background uh it's kind of hard and a lot of the things he says uh, a lot of the words are being used in a slightly different way and so i mean i know i know a lot of people will read mind comp and won't understand it or will will be sort of put off by it and it's unfortunate part of it is uh problems with translation part of it is just historical context uh, but once it's explained, it's actually very clear and very simple what's being said. Right. Um, and for context, we're going to be utilizing the Mannheim translation, which, oh, yeah, he's Jewish. He it is easily one of the best translations out there. Yeah, it's, um, it's very good. And as I was doing this, I was comparing it with a 1943 German copy that I have. Yeah. And, you know, even I, I've, I've come across words that look strange to me, like one part with uh, geopolitical yeah. is, is used. And yeah. I was like, is that really what's said? I look in the German, geo, it, it is geopolitisch, yeah. is, is just the word that's being used. So Mannheim isn't tricking you. There's maybe, there are a couple things where a word is used um, that might be a trick. But very rarely. They're very rare. Uh, it's, so- it's overall, it's a very good translation. The other reason I wanted to use it is because it's the one that if you have one lying around, you probably have this one. Yeah, you can buy it in Barnes and Noble. Hilariously, uh, it's the one. Th- it's the one uh, edition they do sell. And so we we have juxtaposed this between the Stalag edition. We've juxtaposed this between the original German. Uh, so we have we have fact checked the Mannheim translation for you guys uh, ahead of time. So this is actually something you guys can utilize uh, as as a as a study Bible. Right. <laughs> mark it up. Just go buy one from Barnes and Noble and a couple of highlighters and just go mark it up. So. Before I start reading some of this, the main, a couple of the main points. Hitler talks about how you build a mass movement and he's, is his, the main thrust of his argument is that you have to go after the working class. Mm-hmm. You do not build from the bourgeoisie. You do not build from people who are satisfied and happy with life because they're not going to be willing to take political risks. Right. And so you have to, you have to start with the working class, uh, with people that, 
men and young men particularly who uh obviously you're not like a totally just working class movement you still have some some uh white collar people or some professionals but for the most part you have to be working class your body politic has to be working class and and there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects to evolution that goes into that because what drives evolution itself and that is uh, agitation right so like what is what is the driving force to to force something to evolve and that is it, it's a necessity to adaptation um you have to have uh some kind of some kind of something that 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 jer- start uh, that jars you and stirs you right to to, to move uh, and the working classes are usually the ones most affected by political change by economic change and all these other things so they're going to be the ones that have the most agitation as as, uh, as Greg just right. said and here and the, the middle classes so the bourgeoisie the upper middle class particularly has the most to lose from any right. political change so they are going to the risk of even if they yeah. disagree with the system yeah. they are not necessarily willing to put their money where their mouth is right exactly so they're going to be risk averse it's going to be they're going to have less of a drive to change and then your working classes are going to be easily the, the better target for this and the other uh key point he makes and this and we'll discuss this how this is different from uh america today is that you need to go after or in hitler's opinion in his time you don't go after the people who are already patriotic and national. Mm. You have to go after the people who are leftists. Right. And that's why he, he co-opted comrade as a word, too, yes. to go after the communists and whatnot. Now, I'm not going to we'll, we'll discuss this later as we get into it. I'm not going to straight up say, like, yes, we should go out and preach to Antifa. Right. <laughs> uh, there, there's there's reasons why this analogy isn't direct. And we'll, we'll talk about, like, how the how to apply what Hitler is saying to today, because it isn't. Oh, there's there's a lot of facile analogies that people will make about Weimar Germany. Uh, there are a lot of similarities, but people will say stuff like, "Well, it's diff- it's it's totally irrelevant what the Hitler's experience because, well, uh, we're not as poor as they were right. back then, no. or something." And no, it's it, like, no, no, no. This is the most. It's totally applicable, and the same, much it, of it is very yeah. applicable. While it is different. It, it's like you know obviously hitler's experience was different than what it is today the, most of it is still applicable even though like obviously they adapt certain things and change it to 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 the you know the changing times and that's also part of what we spoke on before of, of clausewitz's uh, uh, concept of warfare uh, is that you have to you have to be adaptive you have to be able to to take your doctrines and adapt into the modern world and that's basically what has to happen with mind confidence like we have to take this basic doctrine because it does work it's not like it doesn't we know for a fact that this works it's been proven to do so um but obviously you know you change a few things like the economic elements have changed a little bit or whatever the heck else but the basic principles have all stayed the same all right so let's get into it so we're going to skip the first paragraph i'm going to start on paragraph two The fact that millions bear in their hearts the desire for a basic change in the conditions obtaining today proves the deep discontent under which they suffer. It expresses itself in thousandfold manifestations, with one man in despair and hopelessness, with another in ill will, anger, and indignation, with this man in indifference, and with that man in furious excesses. As witnesses to this inner dissatisfaction, we may consider those who are weary of elections, as well as the many who tend to be the most fanatical extreme of the left. The young movement was intended, the Nazi movement, was intended primarily to appeal to these last, that is, leftists. It is not meant to constitute an organization of the contented and satisfied, but to embrace those tormented by suffering those without peace, the unhappy and discontented, and above all, it must not swim on the surface of the national body, but strike roots deep within it. Like we said, going into this, his two, the two demographics he's looking at, 
the two groups of people are working class people and leftists, primarily. I mean, you know, he's not going to limit himself exclusively to that. But the general principle that he operates on here is that you you start with the people who are most discontented, like you just said, but right. also the people that are closest to you and then work your way out to other class groups and other, say, regional groups, too, right. because there's a geopolitical thing. A, there's a sort of element to this that has to do with place. Because he's starting in Munich, right? And he's right. working out to other parts of the country. So, you know, ge- uh, geology does play into this quite a bit. Also, he, it's, uh, he, he's not necessarily mentioning that we, we have to... Like, oh, well, backtrack a little bit. The reason why, for context for, for, the, for the listener here, is that the German worker was heavily influenced by Marxism uh, and not in a way that we would think of today, right? Modern modern Marxism. It's like you don't have a bunch of, of uh, blue-collar individuals that are also have blue hair, right, at the same time. Like you had normal working-class people that were swayed over by the Marxo-socialist type of ideology. Right. Um, and they, they were, not to say that it was probably an easier job of converting them to national socialism at the time, but it, it's it's we have to look at who we're talking about here. We're not going to go to the, the Starbucks barista, right? That's not our target audience. No. The the person in your factories, right? Your your lathe workers, your machinists. Those are the kind of guys that we're talking about here. Right. There's two. There's so there's two big differences really between when Hitler's talking about working class in Germany in the 1920s and when we say working class today uh, in America. Big differences are one. Back then, you actually had a working class concentrated in the cities. Right. <laughs> and it's almost like America has been specifically constructed since 1945 to push whites and working class whites out of the cities yeah. because the cities are the center of political power. Right. And if you have a working class there, they can be organized and be used as a political weapon. So you don't want that. So America's almost specifically organized to have working class whites not so much in the cities or in the cities as right. little as possible and to have them out in the countryside. It's almost like the, the United States was dis- like after 1945 was deliberately reconstructed in order to yes. prevent national socialism no, it, from that, happening that, here. That you know? is you pretty know? <laughs> much what they learned their lesson well. Right. Yeah. And, for sure. and then the other thing is that, uh, you know, working class, like you were saying, working class back then, you think of guy who actually works in a factory. Right. And is a, you know, pretty buff guy, maybe ex-army, uh, maybe, you know, probably has a high school education, but, but hasn't been to college. Yeah. Um, Probably has a family. Probably goes to church. You know, a lot of a lot of things. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, your average guy, your and these were your leftists. Yeah. These were your <laughs> leftists because there wasn't there was a degenerate like leftist group too back then, but right. it wasn't nearly as prevalent. Nowadays, those working America has sort of restructured this so that those working class guys are now part of the Republican coalition and they live out in the countryside. Whereas the the true internationalist ideological communist types. Are social misfits who are urban? Uh, think of yeah, you know, Starbucks baristas right. or people with graduate degrees. Yeah, or, or <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or like your squatting Antifa that sit in like a derelict building or whatever yeah, and shoot heroin all day. Like yeah. all, all, all kinds of things. You know, uh, trannies, faggots, yeah. all, the, uh, whole, the whole city of Seattle, <laughs> <laughs> like Portland. You know, things like that. So that there is a there is a big difference here between you know in, between what Hitler's talking about and what the situation that we face but when we right. say working class in america let's take that to mean the sort of man who would have been seen by hitler as working class so right. a, a yeah. a man who has a job uh your farmers with his hands yeah. is a farmer is yeah. a, a garbage man a machinist uh yeah. anything like that and you know not not white collar job blue collar job yeah and 
He's like a real man. Yeah. He's not some like <laughs> fucking tranny. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> no troons. All right. So now Hitler's going to talk about uh, pussy conservatives versus the Reds or the communists. Right. And he uses a lot through this the word international. So when you hear the word international, Hitler's talking about the Reds or the communists. Mm. In purely political terms, the following picture presented itself in 1918. A people torn into two parts. The one, by far the smaller, includes the layers of the national intelligentsia, excluding all the physically active. It is outwardly national, yet under this word can conceive of nothing but a very insipid and weak-kneed defense of so-called state interests, which in turn seem identical with dynastic interests. Okay, I'll stop there in the middle of that paragraph. So, he's talking about nerds. Like, he, he, says, <laughs> yeah. he, he says national intelligentsia, so smart people, right? But excluding all the physically active. So you can be smart as long as you work out or, yeah. you know, go for a walk every once in a while. Uh, be fine. He's excluding you from this criticism. Yeah. He's specifically talking about uh, the reactionary Internet nerd uh, of today. And then he goes on. So these people attempt to fight for their ideas with uh, and aims with spiritual weapons, which are as fragmentary as they are superficial and which fail completely in the face of the enemy's brutality. With a single frightful blow, this class, which only a short time before was still governing, is uh, stretched on the ground with uh, and with trembling cowardice suffers every humiliation at the hands of the ruthless victor. So think of Charlie Kirk, like, splayed out on the ground with Antifa <laughs> beating the shit out of him. <laughs> God, what a great sight. <laughs> uh, but seriously, that, that's, yeah. that's what we're talking about here. And you could think of, I mean, actually, give, give me some examples of people who fall into this category of political nerds who are not going to be able to stand up to communist or, in our context, Antifa brutality. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Fuentes? Mm -hmm. You know, Boosh. not, to, not to throw shade, you know, pew, pew. Shots fired. <laughs> no joke. But uh, I can't imagine that if they got him out of his uh, of his little green room uh, that they that they would treat him very well, you know, or that he would be able to fight back, really. I mean, and not not to say anything about the man individually, because like I've never met him or whatever. But at the same time, though, it's if, if you if you are espousing specific ideologies that are not uh, not stalwart in, in their in their uh, placements. You're gonna get your ass beat, right. and if you're and if you're attracting people who are similar, sort of just nerds, right? Uh, is, not, no, we're not. We're not say everybody, but right, like in you know, bulk, right. in bulk, that's what you're mostly well, talking about. Then you're let's not gonna shoot some real shade here. Let's 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 really do some some shots over the bow here. All right. The last remnants of AIM. I know we don't want to get into that nonsense at all, but when you sit and relegate yourself, uh, you take an entire organization and you relegate yourself to playing online video games and that's like your whole political ideology, uh, what are you honestly trying to accomplish yeah, by doing I that? I hadn't thought of that example. You know, but yeah, that, but that thing, what was going on with, with AIM in circa 2019? It's like, fine, relegate yourself to that, but don't pretend to be a political actor. Right. Uh, we can use some bigger examples that you know that people in our thing will will know those two examples but just generally things like uh pappy cannon you know right yeah i got, I got a lot of respect for pappy cannon uh, and the, sort of the things that he's tried through his life and the, the things he's done but he wasn't following the hitler playbook right uh and and he was only ever able to attract not the sort of people who would be willing to stand up to antifa violence right and somebody who came close was Trump. 
That's true. He came close, but in he, a way, he, in, a way. In, a way, in a way, he obviously didn't capitalize on it or anything else like that. It was a total squandered opportunity. Um, but he kind of he kind of had the ability to to gather the, the basic he working did. man. At the same time, though, he didn't really focus his efforts on the working man. He just kind of used them as a rabble rouse. Yes, um, it, that is, that's I'm, an issue. I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't thought of Trump. But Trump is, in a way, the closest to Hitler in his political strategy. I would say that the failing, the failure of Trump, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he wanted to have like a, a, a national revolution by legal right. means, a real change in the political order. Yeah, that was only that would only be possible. You have to have both the base that working class base, but you also have to organize them. Right. <laughs> you and also have to provide them officers and leadership. And and that's some, where he failed. And that's where he completely, like as, as soon as he was able to get them for the for the rallies and for yep. the votes, that was it. Yeah. Once he was in power, bring in all the Jews. Didn't care, right, didn't exactly. Didn't give a fuck. And that's the problem is that he had, he, he actually did have one of the best abilities in the past almost 100 years of running this country mm-hmm. in a in a in a totally like unified way. He could have gotten the basis and he did. He had he like most people still like him. I don't even know how, but people still like him even in the working class. Even though he stabbed them in the back right. like a zillion like, times. But right. yeah, they, they have no one else, so Yeah, there's there's no other banner there for them to, to rally behind and that's kind of sad obviously, but the fact is that yeah, you, you know, you're right is that he uh he failed in the concept of giving them leadership and organizing his ground forces and that base of of support. I uh, and and yeah, so he basically just threw away it all, he threw it all away. He was able to, to do the bare minimum to get you to vote for him, you know, as far as rallying people and getting the working class behind him and saying all the right necessary things in order to get the people where they need to be. And then just and then just walked away from it. Yeah. Hitler throughout all this is not talking about starting a peasant revolution. Right. Yeah. You think of uh, the Middle Ages, maybe the the, peasant, the German peasant wars or something right, yeah. where or think of Spartacus, where just. The uh, lower classes, the farmers, the peasants, it, yep. historically rose up and and overthrew the government. Hitler's not talking about that at all. Yeah, no, this is not. He is this talking is not about the organized discipline, France, like. discipline movement of the working class. Something right. I mean that you could come up with other historical analogies, but it, he's not. You're not Trump. What Trump was doing was closer to. It was a fake peasant revolution of the Middle Ages. Right. It's yeah. like, I'm going to stir up the peasants, get yep. them angry, and then discard them. Right. Is and basically what he did. Basically, I'm going, to ra- I'm, going to, I'm going to rouse them all up, but never give them torches and pitchforks. Yes. Right. And never show them where they need to and, be going. And, yeah, use them as a political tool to get myself into power. To right. Sort of scare. I mean, he did scare the system. He did. He's, he's like, like, oh, I got my, my army of pitchfork peasants here. Yeah. Um, and then nothing. But then, you know, <laughs> when it came down to it, he's like, yeah, actually, I'm yeah, not going to. I would rather sit in Mar-a-Lago and sip mojitos. But, <laughs> you know, like. So, yeah. All right. Going going on. So, Hitler talks about that first class, the political nerds, mm-hmm. and says that's stupid. Political nerds are dumb and they're they're sissies. That's yeah, not going like, to get you anywhere. Political science majors, you know. <laughs> you know internet, uh, dark, enlightened. Menchus mold bug. Dark enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that kind of nonsense, you know? Okay, so confronting it, confronting the nerds, is a second class. The broad mass of the laboring population it is organized in more or less radical Marxist movements determined to break all spiritual resistance by the power of violence. It does this, uh, it does not want to be national, patriotic but consciously rejects any promotion of national interests, just as conversely it aids and abets all foreign oppression. Mm-hmm. It is numerically the stronger and above all comprises all those elements of the nation without which a national resurrection is unthinkable and impossible. So this is 
kind Again, of self-explanatory it, it, on that It's one. a little bit different from the situation now where the working class is not also the communist class. The communist right. class is these disparate elements. The working class is uh, sort of muzzled in this conservative uh, Republican system. Yeah. If, unfortunately, I hate to use this term, but it is basically they've castrated them. Yeah. Like, For uh, going on. So just want to see, do I... I wish I had my study edition too. I never yeah, well, the diff- here's the difference. <laughs> I mean, so the broad mass of the laboring population. So in Hitler's time, he's saying these were organized by the Reds. Right. And then Hitler's going to like tank, take them and, and turn them into Browns. Um, the difference nowadays is the broad mass of the laboring population is not organized at all. In Unions don't exist yeah. for all intents and purposes. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we had the, the train unions trying to get a day off of work and well there they had a coup d'etat that threw out the the one leader who actually was pushing for it and they put some puppet in and right. then they gave them nothing and said fuck you and that's it like without organization even if everyone's willing to strike it doesn't do anything. really do you any good if the leadership is controlled by you know the jews right yeah <laughs> just to be blunt about it right you know um so you, it, leadership is absolutely important and that that kind of comes down to here is you have to have an organized leadership to organize your working class going on Four, in 1918, this much was clear. No, reaction, re, no resurrection of the uh, German people can occur except through the recovery of outward power. But the prerequisites for this are not weapons, as our bourgeois statesmen keep prattling, but forces of the will. The German people had more than enough arms before. They were not able to secure freedom because the energies of the, na- of the national instinct of self-preservation the will for self-preservation were lacking. The best weapon is dead, worthless material, as long as the spirit is lacking, which is ready, willing, and determined to use it. Germany became defenseless, not because weapons were lacking, but because this will was lacking to guard the weapon for national survival. Right. So this is a very Clausewitzian point. We mentioned Clausewitz earlier. This is Clausewitz's uh, equation for combat power. Combat power is the product of the means available times the willpower right so the will to use the weapon and the means available encompasses everything um your weapons how many men you have how well trained they are organized they are supplies uh, the supplies logistics like all that is is means available but it doesn't mean anything if you don't have the will to use it right no this is like why america lost in iraq and afghanistan or why ukraine's losing now i'm not to not to sound you know attacking about the the poor ukrainian soldiers on the front lines there but they have been given all the aid in the western world and nato and whatnot and there's just probably not enough of a drive there but again look yeah. at the leadership in <laughs> some nasty little jew so there's no there is no drive there unfortunately to, to, to beat back the russians that's a more com- it's a more complicated example it is like the russians too you're like well Come on, Russia! Like, <laughs> you, you guys, you guys got to That's another thing. Yeah, they, yeah, on the other side, where's the will? They have all of Russia's will yeah. military. You it's know? Like it's the, a, these people are the, the Zog is conspiring to build a puppet state, three hundred miles from your capital. Right. Like, where's the sense of urgency? Right. You know. So there's there's, there's a few other uh, examples yeah, we can use for third worlds. I think third world examples are probably uh, yeah. better uh, currently right now. We can utilize. So looking at um, let's look at I uh, I I think it was. Which was the one that just had the uh, Myanmar. Myanmar just had an overthrow with a military junta not too long ago. They didn't have a lot of means, but they had the willpower to use it. And they took over the whole country, right? And so now there's this whole pariah state going on right now with this military leadership in Myanmar and all this other fun stuff. So that's that's kind of 
it's all in the same point where you might not have as many means, but you do have the willpower to utilize it. And so it comes down mostly to willpower of how you organize, how you structure, and how you can effectively utilize whatever means you do yeah, have. Uh, 300 Spartans versus 200,000 Persians. Right. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's all these great little examples for it. Or Vietnam. Vietnam's a great example to it as yeah. well. The, the 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 Vietnamese military had uh, you know, or the the the, the North you know Vietnamese Same sharpened bamboo sticks, basically and, right, uh, and some, some plastic explosives, yeah, and rice hats and some sandals, and they t- took out both France and the U.S. You know, so uh, willpower matters on the battlefield more so than more so than 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 uh, than means. Yeah, a lot and, of times. and it's funny because people will poo-poo this point. They'll say like, "Well, you know." No matter how much willpower you have, you're not going to beat machine guns. Aha. Uh, that's uh, not true. Look at the Taliban. It's, like, it's, not, it, it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it, Clausewitz, it's very clear in this. It's willpower. It's not a mathematical calculation, yeah, but it's, it's two things. It's willpower and the means. Right. And and I, just to, to, to cap that out, we can see what the, the Taliban did uh, yeah. with the United States there. We didn't, like, you know, we didn't have the willpower to stay there or do anything else like that. We had all the means in the world. It's the U.S. We couldn't defeat uh, some goat farmers. And no, well, they definitely, the, the means at the, dis- they had the willpower all along. They the, definitely The means power. at the disposal of the Taliban did increase over that 20 years. True. When, when Zog is stomping on you for 20 years, you get pretty good at fighting back. Right, you do. Well, <laughs> so the they, thing did, is, they did learn. They, they learned, um, but still, their, their means... The, the, their means did not outweigh our means, but their no. willpower outweighed our willpower, and it worked. In well, their, their willpower, yeah, their willpower times their means. The product of that was greater than right. <laughs> so the mathematical equation was the Taliban one. <laughs> so, but but going back to this paragraph, so Hitler's specifically talking about in the German context the political arguments that were being had about whether or not Germany had weapons, whether they had tanks and planes and ships in order to assert their national interests, right. and. He's saying, like, just on the national level, I mean, this is true, whether it be on the personal level or on the national level. Or international, yeah. You can have all the weapons in the world, but it doesn't matter. What the, Germany's real problem was not the Treaty of Versailles that stripped, was not because Versailles tr- stripped it of its weapons. The real problem was because Versailles stripped Germany of its fucking guts. <laughs> right. Yes, 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 yes. And the real problem was not, was the stab in the back, which, oh, the stab in the back is a myth. No, it's not. No, it's not. Stab <laughs> in the back is true. The, Reason that Germany lost the war, partially just overwhelming odds on the other side, but it's because Germany, its will slipped toward the end. Right. Now, the front, the fighting men at the front, not so much, but back home, there was red revolutions. There was, uh, the, the, the Kaiser was pushed out. There was starvation. conspiring against, I mean, yeah, the, the, the civilian population was starving too, which certainly helped uh, the communist propagandists and agitators right, to, yeah. to stir people against the government. The problem was the, the stab in the back story, and I know we've said this on the show before, but it bears repeating. The stab in the back is not to say that Germany was going to win the war. The stab in the back is to say that the, the leftists and socialists and reds and politicians and war profiteers in Germany screwed over the country by giving away its leverage. Right. They they withdrew. They agreed to the Allies' terms and withdrew Germany's armies from France. Right. Which which and and Britain didn't uh, at the same time stop the blockade. Right. So the blockade's still in place. People are starving in Europe, not just Germany, but all over Central Europe. Right. Yeah. For 1918. I mean, starting in nineteen sixteen, really, but going well beyond the end of the war. Right. In nineteen nineteen, because 1920, you lost your leverage. People are starving. Yeah. And. Therefore, now Germany really is incentivized to sign because people are starving and they also don't have the means to fight back because they've already given up all the land they had in France. Right. 
So and started demilitarized. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go. Let's let's going on. Even if today more than ever, our left politicians are at pains to point out the lack of arms as necessary as the necessary cause of their spineless, compliant, actually treasonous policy. We must answer only one thing. No, the reverse is true. Though, uh, through your anti-national criminal policy of abandoning national interests, you, leftist politicians, surrendered our arms. Now you attempt to represent the lack of arms as the underlying cause of your miserable villainy. This, like everything you do, is lies and falsification. <laughs> that's just love the idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that that's basically what you just described. Is that, is that they, and, and they tried to play it off that, oh, we don't have any arms, so we have to capitulate. No, you gave up the arms. Yeah. That's why you're capitulating. No, but like, this next paragraph is great because yeah. Hitler is shitting on the left and the socialists. But then and you're like, oh, wow, gee, maybe I should support the conservatives. Nope. Next paragraph. <laughs> But this reproach applies just as much to the politicians on the right. For, thanks to their miserable cowardice, the Jewish rabble that had come to power was able in 1918 to steal the nation's arms. They, too, have consequently no ground and no right to palm off our present lack of arms as the compelling right, uh, sorry, as the compelling ground for their wily caution, read cowardice. On the contrary, our defenselessness is the consequence of their cowardice. Conservative cucks. <laughs> uh, going on. Consequently, the question of regaining German power is not how shall we manufacture arms, but how shall we manufacture the spirit which enables the people to bear arms? Mm -hmm. If the spirit dominates the people, the will finds a thousand ways, every one of which ends in a weapon. Yeah, but give the coward 10 pistols and if attacked he will not be able to fire a single shot and so for him they are more worthless than the knotted stick for a courageous man love that that's like why the NRA is fucking gay but like why if you were in the line at Charlottesville you're worth like the entire NRA right right and that's, there's really like, it, the thing is about most of this stuff is that it it doesn't require as much elaboration as people would think it does. Like you need a little bit of, of, of elaboration, but for the most part, this is all self-explanatory stuff. Like most people can get this if you if you understand basic concepts of how to survive, right? Yeah. These basic survival concepts. You don't give your adversary the means to kill you. <laughs> all right. So next paragraph, Hitler just. It's nothing. I'm not going to read the whole paragraph, but he, he basically just says the same thing, and he he brings up the English as an example of a country that is a desirable ally, not only be, and not just because they have the greatest navy in the world and they have tons of weapons, but because they have the guts to stick out the fight to the end. Right. Then he goes on to say, so if we understand that the resurrection of the German nation represents a question of regaining our political will for self-preservation, it is also clear that this cannot be done by winning elements, which in point of will, at least, are already national, but only by the nationalization of the consciously anti-national masses. Mm -hmm. So this could be a bit confusing. He is using the word national to mean uh, the way we would say patriotic. Right. So if you, if you substitute patriotic, uh, we can't bring about a great political change by winning people who are already patriotic, but only by making patriotic people who are anti-patriotic. Right. <laughs> So bring up, basically bring up the net patriotism of the society by converting those who are anti-patriotic to patriotism within mm -hmm. your society. Yeah. A young movement which, therefore, sets itself the goal of resurrecting a German state uh, 
with its own sovereignty will have to direct its fight entirely to winning the broad masses. Same thing. Mm. Wretched as our so-called national bourgeoisie is on the whole, (laughs) inadequate as its national patriotic attitude seems, certainly from this side, no serious resistance is to be expected. So, yeah, the bourgeoisie is going to push out and they're not going to stop us. no resistance is to be expected against a powerful domestic and foreign policy in the future. Even if the German bourgeoisie, for their well-known, narrow-minded, and short-sighted reasons, should, as they once did toward Bismarck, maintain an obstinate attitude of passive resistance in the hour of the coming liberation, an active resistance in view of their recognized and proverbial cowardice is never to be feared. So, oh, it's actually fairly hard to follow that sentence. Um, the, the the TLDR is that if you have a big movement behind you, you're not going to have to worry. You can just brush aside the bourgeoisie right. on your way to power because they're not only are they useless to you as a fighting force, they're also useless to the government at, at resisting your political uh Revolution, right? If, if they're the kind of people that don't have the guts to fight in the first place, they're not going to fight for what they already yeah. are are part of. Effectively, yeah. and this, 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 and the, I mean, this whole thing goes to this is like all directly disproving the Marxist point that Trotsky used to make that oh well, Hitler was he was just supported by the industrialists, and that's how he got in power. Because even there, you'll find people on our side who believe this. That's true, yeah. Uh, who believe that, oh, Which well, why if, they fall if only we could be supported by the industrialists, then we could have a national revolution, yeah. because that's how Hitler did it. But that's, like, no. that's the difference there in psychology between national socialists and fascists. Uh, yeah. We can get into that later you know, as, as a different a different show, probably, but that mentality there of just, we have to be, we have to have the industrialists on our side constantly. That is the fascist mentality. Well, it, that's it, not it, the it, national it, socialist it, one. That is, I mean, from what yeah. I've read of Mussolini, that's sort of what he did he, right he got early on support from industrialists i don't think that was an option for hitler and i certainly don't think that's an option for us no um not to any not anywhere near to that degree anyway no. for this and, and i remember reading somewhere that mussolini later commented that he sort of made a mistake and that he should have right. taken his time the way hitler did of building the mass movement before yeah because it, it's very tempting to accept that support that big money support if it's offered early on oh right and that's why unfortunately a lot of things throughout the movement's history in the united states has, has unfortunately fallen towards jewish finance and things of this nature you get these these conniving jews and whatnot oh yeah well, let's just eliminate jews from the from yeah. the discussion for now and just say like any finance like right, any right. if a rich person comes to you and says i want to support your movement and you have enough you have like i don't know 100 guys yeah 500 guys and they're coming at you with Six million dollars. It's a hard decision to turn down. It's or, hard to turn it down, but on the other hand, like you're, or you, you have to understand that right. you actually are giving up power by accepting that money, right? Unless you deliberately make it explicit that you give us this money and you have no power, kind of thing. Yeah, and, which is a little more difficult of a sell on most. It's of the time. one thing to take six million dollars in a like a bequest, yeah, a one time payment or a, a will or something upon somebody's death. But it's another thing if it's like, well, I'm going to give you 100 grand a month. Right. You know, that, that, yeah. It kind of ties you in there. He goes on and says basically the same thing. A uh, young movement, therefore, sets as its goal the resurrection of the German state. You have to fight directly for winning the broad masses. All right. Yeah, we said that. And then, he, all right. So now he's, he, he contrasts it with the communists again. It is different with the, uh, with the masses of our communistic comrades. In their natural primitiveness, they are more inclined to the idea of violence, and moreover, their Jewish leadership is more brutal and ruthless. They will crush any German resurrection just as they once broke the backbone of the German army in 1918. Mm -hmm. But above all, 
in this state with its parliamentary government, they will, thanks to their majority in numbers, not only obstruct any national foreign pol- patriotic foreign policy, but also make impossible any higher estimation of German strength, thus making us seem undesirable as an ally. Right. right. So, so this the, is this, in the international stage he's talking about here slightly, like he goes a little broader. When you have a bunch of communists yeah. in your country, you appear weak at, to other countries. Right. Any type of internal conflict is going to make it look, you know, bad to the outside we all know this it's the same thing of anybody like looking at a, a family that's fighting constantly right well true but he's hitler is obviously not against internal conflict <laughs> well right <laughs> um but in, in the sense of, of yeah if you have if you have these these, these if you have people who are, who are like doctrinally anti-war for instance right like you might oppose this war but some particular are, war but to be against war in general yeah. or to be pro-international uh cooperation well, then you're just giving away your leverage. Right. And yeah. the enemy sees that. Now, I was kind of, I, I was reading this and I was thinking, it's kind of funny because this is sort of goes to the prison rule of like, <laughs> you know, you don't want your group to look like weaklings. Right. Yeah, so, you can't have faggots in your group. You can't have uh, snitches. You can't have traitors. You, get, you, you have to like only have really strong people. It's fighting have, fighting men. <laughs> it's better to have a small group of, of fighting men than to have one person in your group who's weak because then... Other people, outsiders will see that and they'll think, oh, well, maybe they're all like that. Right, yeah. The funny thing is that Zog is so powerful that it actually flouts that rule <laughs> by promoting, like, faggotry everywhere and, like, reveling in faggotry and sending homosexuals to be ambassadors and stuff to other, they, they to other countries. It. Yeah. It's, it doesn't, that doesn't disprove the point. Right. What Zog is doing when they do that is just flaunting how powerful they are it's like yeah we're so strong we can beat up any country in the world in fact we're so strong we can be run by faggots and trannies and yeah. what are you going to do about it russia what are you going to do about it china what are you going to do well it's, <laughs> and the thing is it's, it's, <laughs> and it's really like unnecessary and it just arrogant and stupid it's not but it's kind of you kind of respect it. <laughs> it there is there is there is a bit of respect to it to the fact that you can you can literally say and do whatever you want at the top of the world kind of thing but unfortunately though for zog that is going to destroy them. but it also just brings a bunch of hatred back on the oh, american yeah. people in general which right. you know thanks yeah thanks guys <laughs> Jews, but yeah. So they, uh, the uh, basically what he's saying here though is that the international community is going to view you as weak if you have internally weak uh, uh, elements. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna skip ahead here because he kind of, he basically just dictated this book to Hess when he was in prison. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of back and forth or. Uh, of, of, well, it's all mine. Most of it's written. That's another thing about Mein Kampf that most people don't realize. Uh, mein Kampf is not written as like sit down and write a book it's train of thought like the whole thing is written train of thought through hitler's mind it's just him ranting i mean it's it's he wrote this in what like 10 months and it's 700 pages yeah like it's pretty intense so it's it's basically him pacing back and forth 100 pages a month or so yeah so he's he's pacing back and forth in his cell ranting effectively uh very coherently but nevertheless right 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 it's not yeah not like it's a a, yeah it's not a it's not a, a mindless rant it's a very very you know concise uh points that he's making here but still okay so the next part that's interesting, he gets he talks about the actual purpose of the national intelligentsia. So he says, regarded even from the purely technical point of view, the idea of an outward German liberation, liberation from the outside, seems senseless as long as the broad masses are not also prepared to enter the service of this liberating idea. Nazism. Right. From the purely military angle, every officer above all will realize after a moment's thought, that a foreign struggle cannot be carried out with student battalions 
that in addition to the brains of the people, the fists are also needed. So it means you need workers and you need, you do need some smart people, but you need mostly workers. Yeah, like you have to have a brain for your machine. <laughs> in addition, we must bear in mind that a national defense, which is based only on the circles of the so-called intelligentsia, would squander irreplaceable treasures. The absence of the young German intelligentsia which found its death on the fields of Flanders in fall 1914 was sorely felt later on. It was the highest treasure of the German nation uh, possessed, and during the war, its loss could no longer be made good. So Hitler's referring to a specific incident in uh, 1914 when, like, there were whole student battalions that just went into battle singing Deutschland über alles and got mowed down. Yeah, and just absolutely wasted. Right. And, you know, for all of Hitler's statements in this chapter and throughout his life about how much he hates the bourgeoisie, he does there is he does have respect for the intelligentsia like there is a place for it right. he believes and he views those german young men who were killed at 18 19 20 in france those college students as being you know the future officer corps of the german army right and you squandered them very early on in the war and so you were lacking in officer material later on in the war and that was that was a, a or just later on in the evolution of your society yeah. you know like because and, and and as he points though is that that cannot be recuperated in four years time it cannot happen and yeah to go to go from the military point of view is also applying that to the political point of view you like you cannot win a war against france using your intelligentsia alone or, or grouping them into their own battalions and letting them all get killed. Which is, uh, yeah, just you, unbelievably stupid. <laughs> you also shouldn't do that in a political movement. Right. Now, I guess there's not really so much of a question of people getting killed. I mean, people were getting killed in in the right. NSDAP. I mean, there were hundreds of people killed uh, per year, especially toward the end of it yeah. um, by the Reds. Uh, the SA had always had higher casualties than the other side. Yeah. Uh, not, uh, despite what Jewish Hollywood tells you, the SA <laughs> was taking more casualties than it was dealing out. Unfortunately. Because yeah. it was a defensive force. Right. But uh, this is just like another reason why you can't have just intellectuals or, or even predominantly intellectuals in a right. political movement. Too many, too many uh, chefs spoil the broth, as I say. Especially our people doomed to languish along. Sorry, that's a typo. Especially our people doomed to languish alone, unarmed beneath the thousand eyes of the Versailles Peace Treaty, uh, can only make technical preparations for the achievement of freedom and human independence if the army and domestic stool pigeons is decimated down to those whose lack of inborn character permits them to betray anything and everyone, or anything and everything for the well-known 30 pieces of silver. Uh, for with those we can deal, unconquerable by comparison seem the millions who oppose the national resurrection of our political conviction, unconquerable as long as the inner cause of their opposition, the international Marxist philosophy of life, is not combated and torn out of their hearts and brains. You want to comment on that? This is a fairly complicated... Well, yeah, okay, so... The concepts. Let's 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 go back to the. the there's a there's a footnote here for the it's, concept uh, of thirty yeah, pieces of silver. Like, yeah, it, maybe a better translation would be to break up the sentences a bit because these sentences work a little bit better in German than they do in English. Right, and that's what's where we could use another translation. Possibly the Stalag has it broken up kind of a little bit differently. But as far as let's just start from the beginning here. So especially our people, right, doomed to languish along unarmed or yeah. language along unarmed beneath a thousand eyes of the Versailles peace treaty can only make technical preparations for the achievement of freedom and human independence if the army of domestic stool pigeons is decimated down to those who in or to to those 
whose inborn lack of character permits them to betray anything and everything for the well-known 30 pieces of silver. So, effectively, so if we what just that cut, means... If we cut down the political class to the people who are only, like, total, like, disgusting traitors... <laughs> right, yeah. If we actually isolate the worst of the worst in the ruling class, it's actually easier to deal with them than if you have some good people in the ruling class. Right. Or seemingly good people. So, basically, uh, honing down is what he's, he's talking about here. Is it, it's, it's a very, very long way of saying that you, you really need to have... You have to have a... a well, you kind of have to. Yeah, I don't really know how to say this without like uh, without sounding really brutal. <laughs> without like, you have to get rid of of uh, a heavy percentage of your top heavy elements, right? So you you don't want to have um, the concept of domestic stool pitches. We can sit here all day. No, long. no, look, you're missing the point. Oh, Unconquerable by comparison, seeing the millions who oppose the national resurrection out of political conviction. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the conservatives. Like, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about honest, he's talking about decent people, honest people who aren't like total shitheads like the domestic stool pigeons. They are unconquerable until you can break them of Marxism or its descent, its, 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 it's, hold, it's, hold on it's, them, uh, it's water boy conservatism <laughs> <laughs> and win them over to your philosophy. Right. That's the thing. The real danger is in the healthy elements of the society that are like, sort of zombies under control of Marxism or conservatism. Right. They kind of just go along the, with the flow, right? Those, those that basically the stones in the river that just get kind of tossed around with things. Yeah. So, okay. But the, the next part I think kind of makes yeah, that this, all kind of concise. This, yeah. Without the recovery. So I'm skipping a paragraph without the recovery of our external freedom. However, any internal freedom or any internal reform, even the most favorable case means only the increase of our productivity as a colony. The surplus of all so-called domestic improvements falls to the benefit of our international control commissions, and every social improvement at best raises the productivity of our work for them. No cultural advances will fall to the share of the German nation. They are too contingent on the political independence and dignity of our nation. So, yeah, we can have a better quality of life, and we can have a better economy, and we can have all these things under the current system, but we're still going to be slaves. Right. Like we're going to be perfumed slaves, but we're still going to be slaves. Right. And that's, you would, not to sound like this is this kind of a brutal all or nothing kind of thing, but you would rather be free in poverty than rich in slavery. Um, and, well, that, that's, that's Hitler's opinion. Well, right. Of course. <laughs> you know, so, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of, that's kind of basically the gist of that, that whole bit that he's talking about is that you, you want to make sure that you're not just, you know, being a pamper poodle with like a nice little bed in the corner, yeah, and he, right? And he, and he, you're going to like this next paragraph because he said, you, there's some examples here that immediately spring to mind. Right. Thus, if a favorable solution to the German future requires a national attitude on the part of the broad masses of our people, this must be the highest, mightiest task of a movement whose activity is not intended to exhaust itself in the satisfaction of the moment. Mm. But which must examine all of its commissions and omissions solely with a view to their presumed consequences in the future. Right. So, so. don't be uh, DeSantis, or don't be some conservative being like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm so based here. You sent those migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Like, that's not a victory, man. Satisfaction of the moment. Yeah. Like, that's, what the, that's, all, that's owning the lips. That's all the conservatives will give you. That's literally the whole thing. Like, that's... That's their whole MO currently. It's just a momentary satisfaction. But what is that? That's a dopamine hit, right? It's just a little bit of drugs to get you along to the next day. And you can keep going and coping and coping and coping and coping until nothing ever happens. So, a little discomfort now. 
works miracles in the future. Yeah. So owning the libs is bad, and we have to uh, for any for anything to be possible. With that that other paragraph which that I just read was saying about uh, productivity as, as a colony. Right. Now you we have do- you have to. I mean, Hitler says this elsewhere more explicitly, but the buried point there is that you have to break international Jewish financial power and break your country free of it and actually destroy international Jewish financial power is what, right. what World War II taught us. Yeah. <laughs> if, you are going to, if you're going to be free, you right. cannot anything short of destroying international Jewish financial power. If you're a white Western country in you know, Western Europe or America yeah. or Australia or whatever, honestly, you're not going to be free unless you destroy international Jewish financial. No, power. I completely agree. But it's, and it's beyond that. It's, it's not even just for our own race here. We're talking about the whole world no. is under this problem. Like if you're in Africa, well, listen thanks, to this. Liberal. Right. Yeah. Like I know. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so you care about the brown people. My esotericism. Right. But no. And then, but that's, well, that's but you did it. I'm, joking of course but like you this is a secondary point but it is a good point yeah like everyone, everyone. is a slave to international jewish it's financial true. power yeah if you're if you're in africa right Except now listen like to this russia kind of and china kind of are uh, are independent power blocks but they still are subject to the whims of well the thing is that when Zog. they when they're both someone to, to show up at the uh, the world economic forum they they kind of have their their shackles on a bit too you know so mm. the thing is is that like everybody across the world like if you want to be free you have to get rid of the jews <laughs> it's just like you know international jewish power is the thing yeah so if you're listening if you're listening in nigeria right now or during your political unrest uh <laughs> or if you're even in japan right like in your birth rates are, are tanking or the, our taliban fans perhaps yeah anybody else out <laughs> there they, they speak english English, I don't know. Yeah, somewhere. Anybody around the world <laughs> listening to this right now, this is this is a this is a call to action for everybody kind of thing. Um, but obviously, we, we speak mostly centered to our own our own race and our own group here, um, as anybody should. Uh, but yeah, just know that this is a totally universal concept: is that the Jews control everything, and they're the absolute. They're, they are the evil villains of the world. Like, if we want to look at, you know, like, 007, Spectre, and all that other fun stuff, it's Jews. <laughs> like, that's, they have to they have to be shaken to, to, to free us. Um, but Hitler speaks specifically about being a colony. And I think that's a good point. Honestly, we should actually, like, st- like stick for that just for a second to, like, Right, because what has Germany and France and Britain been since the war? Colonies of Zog. And that's the thing. It's like, what is anything but a colony of Zog? It's an extraction of resources. Right. The people themselves are treated like shit uh, and, and trampled down, right, upon the the, the And we Americans the, the, the can take pride industry. in not being a colony of Zog, but its home base. Yeah, which is even... Which is even fucking worse. worse. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally worse thing. Because it's like, then you, you have less room to move around in the home base of Zog as compared to the colony. The colonies have a little more leeway. No, in a way. Yes yeah. and no. I mean, I mean we do we do have better freedom of speech in America than they do in Europe. Well, okay, Europe, there, there Europe, certain... Europe is the one ex- 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 uh, exception because in certain other colonies around the world, you have a lot more freedom of speech than you do in the United States. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so poor Western Europe is unfortunately the worst of it uh, as far as you know being stomped down by Zog. So we're about an hour into this, and this we've just made it through the first like was this like seven pages of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Now Hitler gets into, he has 14 points, it's always 14 points, breaking down <laughs> uh, how one goes about building a movement for the national resurrection. Right, and right. so these, these points are very good. So it says, from a tactical standpoint, a number of demands resulted from this, from these all these things that he's just discussed. Number one, to win the masses for a national resurrection, no social sacrifice is too great. Whatever economic concessions are made to our working class today, they stand in no proportion to the gain for the entire nation if they help to give the broad masses back to their nation. So, right. 
make the working class patriotic. Yep. Only pig-headed short-sightedness, such as often, unfortunately, found in our employer circles, can fail to recognize that in the long run, there can be no economic upswing for them, the upper class, mm-hmm. and hence no economic profit unless the international solidarity of our people is restored. Right. So this is like something that Zog could never understand. And, uh, that you're never going to have an actual uh, increase in wealth uh, for everybody if you don't have a united nation and you don't have the and if you're not governing in the interests of the working class right so like the only way that people in america get richer now for all intents and purposes is by extracting from other people right so boomers boomers die off jews take their houses and reverse mortgages through uh medical treatments that they don't need through uh, all kinds of extortions and right. and uh, through student debt your and basic income tax yeah, basic fucking <laughs> everything you know, taxes yeah. and everything everything the upper class only it gets materially richer by sucking the blood out of everybody else right what hitler's saying is that even you use shit bags you too could succeed more yeah. materially yeah. under a Nazi regime it's true. than under your own shitty parasitic capitalistic That's regime. The same, well, when we see that even now, you know, like it's it's a complete thing. And that well, and to go back to this point though, this paragraph that he's talking about here, uh, just to make some clarifications for the listeners here, what he means by returning, basically returning the broad masses to the to the nation, right? Right. That, that means that's ba- a key phrase, yeah. Yeah, bringing the broad masses back to the nation, meaning that the nation is in control of its of its of its produce, right? Of its of its product, rather than being a colony, and then basically the masses are producing for other other nations, yeah. right? As as a as a colony state. Um, well, I read that as making the masses patriotic well there's that too as part of it right Right. in order to make in order to get the produce from your own people they have to be patriotic towards your own nation right they have to be producing for you the nation has to be you know in taking that that and they're going to be patriotic these two go together right because they're going to be patriotic if they feel like they're getting something out of it right exactly and they're not being fucked yeah it's people aren't going to be loyal if you're just like oh yeah uh yeah work really hard for me and then I'll send uh, 80 billion to Ukraine tomorrow. Right. <laughs> you know, or like uh, subsidize almost half the African continent or something I mean, ridiculous. Some, some, of course, some people still want I mean, there's still like people who are patriotic to America. Right. Um, sadly. Unfortunately. But um, for the most part, people, I mean, Hitler's observation holds true that most right. people are going to realize they're getting fucked and are going to be like, yeah, you know. Right. Which destroys really... the morale. And that's why people have no will to fight in this country, because you know you're getting fucked. Most people know they're getting fucked. Um, that's why, why do you think the uh, the army recruitment is so low right now and they're having to go after trannies? Like, <laughs> it's so bad because no one gives a shit. Um, but and then I. Uh, yeah. Don't join the army. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't army, don't join Zog's military. The military. Get get Plus out when, if you can. You know. Yeah. Once your contract's up get out fuck that shit um but yes that's that's where he says uh here at the very the very last sentence of that is the unless the internet like not international solidarity the international solidarity of our people is uh, restored so like the the individual population uh has to have this this national solidarity Mm -hmm. um again it's it's basically all redundancy in in this sense but it it has to be said multiple times in order to home to to beat that that point into your people's heads Hitler's all about beating things in people's heads (laughs) (laughs) oh brown shirts uh yeah so going go that's just the first part of it yeah this is still point one you know this my note on the side here is jeff bezos 
Like right. Jeff Bezos made his fortune by sucking every little bit of efficiency that he could out of people, and he still right. does it. And he's and and, and the, uh, the the UPS services and stuff too. Right. He utilizes all these other things. Oh he yeah, he, right. he, yeah. He's, he parasites off all these other things that are properly the the collective property right. of the nation. Not to mention your subsidies and everything else, your tax dollars, all yeah. this other crap. You know, like so it's it is. The only way to succeed in the U.S. in some way, shape, or form is—is, is, I mean, you can, and we're talking or about success e- here, like Elon it being Musk, like yes. really, really big success here. Like you can earn like even maybe a couple million here, there, whatever the heck else. That's not as big as right. some of these other people, but like, yeah, in order to be a big success, you have to be a parasite in this country. If during the war the German unions, and Heather's going to make a historical point now about. Yeah, about World War One. If during the war the German unions had ruthlessly guarded the interests of the working class. If even during the war they had struck a thousand times over and forced approval of the demands of the workers they represented on the dividend-hungry employers, but even if in matters of national defense they had avowed their Germanism with the same fanaticism and and if with equal ruthlessness they had given to the fatherland that which is the fatherlands, the war would not have been lost. Mm -hmm. So to shorten that up. He understands why the German workers might have struck even during the war because oh, right. they're being exploited by the war profiteers. And he's against the war profiteers. Of course. But what he's criticizing the unions for is that they didn't just strike and say, you need to treat us right, war profiteers. You're war profiteers. We're creating all the ammunition and all the shit that the men need at the front. You better treat us right uh, and not fuck us over. That he's, he's like, fine, do that. Yeah. But also be like, we're doing this because it is in the interest of the nation as a whole and not right. be like, oh, yeah, but we're communists. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not an individualistic situation or whatever. Yeah. We're, and that, but that became the massive problem there. And this is why he says stabbing in the back element, because these unions were basically stabbing people in the back because they were making it in the interests of themselves and the interests yeah. of the unions and not the interests of the nation. Right. And so basically what you're having is infighting during a war and you can't have that. Yeah. Uh, and how trifling all economic concessions, even the gravest, would have been compared to the immense importance of winning the war. As we just said, yeah. Uh, and yes. then this is the last uh, last yeah. paragraph of point one, then. Yeah, thus a movement which plans to give the German worker back to the German people must clearly recognize that in this question, economic sacrifices are of no importance whatsoever as long as the preservation and independence of the national economy are not threatened by them. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean economic concessions like giving your workers a day off or right. raising the minimum wage. I mean, these basic sort of points that yeah. a Nazi would make. Or healthcare. Uh, things or like healthcare, that. Yeah. yeah. These things are all good as long as they're not threatening the overall national economy. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I suppose there could be a point, like if you're France, maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, oh, we have uh, the, the uh, lunch break every yeah. day and uh, we work uh, three days, uh, twice. <laughs> Basically, uh, France's national pastime is striking. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, don't be the French. I mean, Hitler yeah. is pretty clear on like, the, don't be the French. Yeah. <laughs> like, any, any, but pretty much up to that point, you're fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or these moments. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Uh, some self-deprecating. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll make fun of the Germans too. You know, yeah. Autism and. No, no humor, sense of humor or something, yeah. even though it's the greatest sense of humor, in my opinion. <laughs> so, uh, two then. So, we'll go to the... This yeah, is number two. Man, yeah. Enough Euro dance. <laughs> the national education of the broad masses can only take place indirectly through a social uplift mm-hmm. 
Since this, uh, since thus exclusively can those general economic premises be created which permit the individual to partake in the cultural goods of the nation. Now, let me harp on why this is a, a radical and fundamental concept. Oh, yeah. This is, this, there's a lot here that, it's, yeah, there's it's, so many things here that, that was a whole point too. That there. was all point two, but this is a big one to unpack. Uh, to sound like a leftist for a second. <laughs> um, the, the, this is fundamentally different than communism, right? And the Marxist communism stuff. This is about social uplift. Everybody gets to the top, not bring everybody down to the bottom. Well, it's not everybody gets to the top. It's everybody well, raises well, what I'm saying relative is, to where they were before. Well, right. But like everybody's shooting for the top of the mountain, right? Everybody's, everybody's moving up. and like, Everyone's like, be all you can be. Right. Yeah. Because like, like well, the army. <laughs> there's a social, social uplifting means like while you're, you might still be quote unquote at the bottom of your civilization, but your position at the bottom has raised far above what the position used to be yeah. right so like your living conditions will increase but you're still working class um as compared to communism where it's like yeah make everybody impoverished and that's how that's how we achieve equality we achieve equality or we this myth of equality yeah. by making everybody poor as compared to national socialism where we are trying to raise the living standards of every class in, right. in, in, in respect to itself but you know you know what's great about this point it is a direct attack on the stupid conservative talking point of <laughs> Well, you should just go to college and pull your stuff up uh, by you, your bootstraps. And no, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and and study STEM. Like, oh god! <laughs> like that point isn't entirely wrong. Like, of course, I, not to denigrate the sciences or mathematics. Right, of course, like, duh, duh, duh. yeah, that's obviously, before, obviously uh, on the point. Obviously, yeah. yeah, science and math are important. But when the conservatives come to you, they're like, oh, why didn't they just start a history? Uh, yeah, that's th this is exact. He is exactly refuting that point. I'm sure people were making that point back then. Like, well, this just isn't. It's just not practical. We just all need to go study science. No, you have to be well rounded. Like, it's very, very important. Um, he, he says if social uplift and the individual to partake in the cultural goods of the nation. Right. So that means that you're not just eating McDonald's and watching whatever people watch. Right. You don't uh, want your... you can you can watch. You know, not everybody needs to be uh, going to Wagner operas, but at the people, same time, people, yeah. most people, even even lower IQ people, can and and need some sort of spiritual cultural sustenance. They do. And because you this don't, is something you, that Zog specifically like well, they do it goes purpose. it goes against. They do it Zog purpose. wants to make you as dumb as possible. They do. And well not just that, but demoralize and, and to, you through ugliness. Well right? and also give you to allow you only to appreciate the basis pleasures. Right. So Zog wants you to just drink and fuck well, actually, they don't, they don't want you to fuck. Them. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah, they don't want you to do that. Unless you're a faggot. They want you to fuck uh, pillows, right? Yeah. Dakimakados. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and do drugs and be yeah. addicted to video games and whatever. Like yeah. all these base things that the any animal can appreciate. Because right. like here's the deal. All 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 working class people have, have access to music, uh, to music players of some yeah. kind, right? So right. you should be listening to classical music and not to some, and this is gonna sound uh sound racist uh nigger rap <laughs> you know yeah, and so yeah. i don't even care but you as you know i so um but yeah they, they want you to be instead of being like a netflix drone right instead of going home and watching netflix or whatever the hell kick back with a book or something and engage in like the actual cultures he's talking about german culture architecture art fashion uh the music everything else that has to do with culture right you you want to have like a nice uh you want to go to a museum a lot of museums are actually really cheap and free and whatnot right instead of going and seeing a bunch of d deranged imagery on your television every day go to a museum yeah. right uh go see some real culture go see some real arts and that's now, what he's specifically talking about these just types one, of one more little in before too it's right. just, none of this is to say that like you can't enjoy uh 
a guilty pleasure every now and then. Right, right, right. No, of course, course not. not. No, we're not. We're not Puritans. Right, right. But generally, you should raise the overall cultural level. Right. And that that's the, the purpose of a national socialist movement. One of its purposes has to be to do that. Right. Not to leave people at the at, um, not to let, allow them to revel in uh, animalistic. Right. Cultural attitudes. And, and well, actually, a really good example of this is to tie it into the historical context uh, as, as part of the show's you know, theme is usually history is uh, in the 1920s. It was a really big problem in Germany as far as people uh, engaging in, in bad culture. Right. So people went to uh, to cabarets all the time and like not necessarily that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you're talking about like tranny cabarets and everything else like that, that's basically all you had going on in Berlin was like, you know, child prostitution and like fucking dogs and like, you know, watching, you know, uh, tra- uh, uh, cross-dressers on, on stage and everything else like that in comparison to you could be going to a as you said a Wagner opera you could be going to an art museum you could do all these other things you'd be going for a hike I mean <laughs> and there's yeah right anything and that's you have to you have to actively engage in this stuff but you have to have to the nation itself has to make it popular and it has to make it available for the population in order for that to yeah be it's thing. hard to it's hard to get in the habit of doing better things when everyone around you is, is doing, doing shitty base things. disgusting things right exactly and then we can talk about um uh Goebbels actually makes a really good point of this um in in a, in a sense where so there was a this is a, a, a slight aside but it is i think an important uh, anecdote to go along with this i during the during the 1930s, uh, Dr. Goebbels had a major push to do art shows, right? Like they would do traveling art ex- exhibitions across uh, Germany, and they would show high art, right? High, high uh, sculpture, high painting, uh, things that, you know, like Arno, right. Arno Brecker style stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, he did this thing where he put on one time, and as we all know, the famous Entartante Kunst uh, yeah. exhibition, right? Where he did nothing but an, an exhibition of the worst, most deranged, degenerate stuff. And um, to this day, hilariously, it is the highest grossing modern art exhibition in the history of the Western world. Because uh, he advertised it even better than the Jews could. He did. And that's what's <laughs> hilarious about it is that like, you know, and but people went to see, people went to see it because they wanted to see what was, what has basically been removed from society that what, what was bad, what was the bad stuff that, you know, that, that we are being shielded from. Because a lot of, you know, I've, over a decade, people tend to forget certain things if an, an entire civilization is, is overhauled, right? Yeah. Um, and so people went far and wide to see these these horrible you know displays of, of, of terrible Jewish art and everything else like that. But it, it did it did gross the Reich a lot of money, uh, and 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 to this day, still even to this day in two thousand and twenty three, right? There has yet to be a modern art exhibit that has grossed higher than these interesting things. Yeah, and and it's, it's interesting to point that out though is that. People would go and see it out of curiosity, not because they wanted to. And that it's the difference between now and then, right? People would go and see these things because it's like, oh, that's gross. Oh, I don't want to, you know, that that's awful, right? And they would recognize that it's awful. And then they would go across the street to to see an opera or a play or whatever, and they'd palate cleanse themselves and be, be done yeah. with it or whatever. Now, all we get is Intertente Kunst, right? Which yeah. is degenerate art. That's German for degenerate art for any non-German speakers in the in the audience. Um, but that's all we get. We are exposed to that on a consistent basis of ugliness, of, 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 of horrid ex- examples of, of life. And uh, this whole part that Hitler's talking about of uplifting your nation, you have to uplift them through all the, the natural objective rights, 
right? Like that which is right objectively and naturally, which is beauty, which is which is a, a, a sense of honor and duty and all these other things which are expressed through artistic nature um, and other other uh, other types of cultural goods, as, as Hitler puts it in here. So uh, just a, a side note for our listeners, definitely consistently engage in proper culture in the classics, read the Greek classics, read all, you know, read everything you possibly can, learn, uh, you know, learn, learn an art too. Like I, I would recommend that our listeners learn at least one form of, of artistic yeah, ability. Dude, art stuff is nice and yeah. reading books is nice and working out is good yeah um yeah do do all those things but engage in do not want the other heresy though do not think that that is a substitution for political activity that oh yes actually and that's another point we should make and then let's, hitler let's will make that point that. so yes hitler will make that point but that's go definitely not to be uh, substituted he makes a different point here but number three the nationalization of the broad masses can never be achieved by half measures by weakly emphasizing a so-called objective standpoint, but only by a ruthless and fanatically one-sided orientation toward the goal to be achieved. That is to say, a people cannot be made national in the sense understood by our present-day bourgeoisie, meaning with so and so many limitations, but only nationalistic with the entire vehemence that is inherent in the extreme. Poison is countered only by an antidote and only the shallowness of a bourgeois mind can regard the middle course as the road to heaven. Hmm. So that's pretty mean. I mean, that's pretty... Yeah, but it's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's harsh. You don't come to Hitler for Salt petty takes. little lies. Yeah, you, no, you come, you come to Hitler for the hottest takes. The hard, the hard <laughs> truth that you don't yeah. want to confront. Um, but yeah, so just like on that, that last end of the, the poison is countered only by an antidote, right? And so, which means that you can't just kind of put it off and put so it off. So when the communists or the Jews are saying, well, it's about, you know, tran- we should all respect people's rights to be trannies. So right. Yeah, no, it's before you spur it no, out on this that. is yeah. disgusting. Yeah. These disgusting trannies no. and their Jewish supporters, this has to be stopped. So, it's the only, like, the, some rhetorical, you know, don't, don't be, don't be the 2014 internet. And be well. I have a rash. Don't be Jordan Peterson. Yeah. That's what this is. This entire point is. Don't <laughs> be Jordan don't Peterson. Be Jordan Peterson. No, maybe. But you should, should wash uh, your penis. Objectively, you should. Uh, we we need to understand that there are differences between the races, and that there are reasons. Like none of that crap. Right. With all that nonsense. So there's there's actually a really good example that I have from. It's like this, yeah, it's all uh, true, but that's not like that is not your political. It's not what you're saying to people. Right. Of course. Um, but there's there's a really there's a really good. Um, element from the the field of psychology that actually fits into this and it's it's the the two juxtapositions between problem focused coping and emotion focused coping um and this this is like basically what he's talking here that we can Isn't bring coping it. just coping i mean well you think so that, much right? coping so let, let me let me break this down for you greg and the difference two to- types of copes so you have problem focused coping and emotion focused coping emotion focused coping is what he's talking about here basically for the bourgeoisie and their regard to the middle course to the road to heaven right um the the emotion focused coping is like say that you are walking outside and you get a thorn stuck in your foot right the emo the emotion focused focused cope to that is that you're going to buy yourself a teddy bear to make yourself feel better because you have some pain, right? The problem focused coping is that you're going to rip the thorn out, you're going to bleed a little bit more, but you're going to now be able to heal, right? And so okay. that's, yeah, so the, 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 the what he, what, what national socialism is, is the problem focused cope. 
you rip the Jew out, right? And right. then you are now able to heal. The problem or the, the emotional focused cope is that, well, the Jews are there and they're destroying us, but I can't really do anything about it. So I'm just going to like, you know, go on my own way and then try, try to like, you know, call out certain parts of it. Right. And Conservatism, exactly. Second Amendment fetishism, yes. anti-abortion yeah. uh, campaigns, the, like well, all, we were all these like earlier. single issue like politics. Owning the libs. That dopamine yeah. hit specifically is that. Owning the libs is your emotion focused cope for Jewish problem for Jewish hegemony, right? But the the problem focused cope, which is not really an actual cope, but it's a problem focused way or the problem focused way of dealing with this is the removal of the thorn, right? That's what you have to deal yeah. get through. Uh, yeah, so explains the point a little bit more. I think this is worth reading. The broad masses of a people consist neither in professors nor of diplomats. The scantiness of the abstract knowledge they possess directs their sentiments more to the world of feeling. That is where their positive or negative attitude lies. Right. It Feeling, is emotion. It is receptive only to an expression of force in one of these two directions and never to half measures hovering between the two. <laughs> their emotional attitude at the same time conditions their extraordinary stability. Faith is harder to shake than knowledge. Mm -hmm. Love succumbs less to change than respect. Hate is more enduring than aversion. And the impetus to the mightiest upheavals on this earth has at all times consisted less in a scientific knowledge dominating the masses than in a fanaticism which inspired them and sometimes uh, and sometimes in a hysteria which drove them forward. Anyone who wants to win the broad masses must know the key that opens the door to their heart. Its name is not objectivity, but will and power. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a basic thing. Like, if you're... If you're observing two people arguing and one person is just saying, is taking, I mean, the Jews do this all the time. Right, right. They'll take the absolutely most ridiculous extreme position. And then you'll try to argue back against that by being like, well, I'm going to just say the truth. The problem is that most people observing this argument will just say, well, the truth must be somewhere between these two. Right. And therefore more Jewish. And this is like why conservatism, I mean, again, uh, I, you know, I, I hope people give this show to conservative friends or to people who <laughs> are uh, All the fence, boomers man. or I don't know, people who people who haven't like engaged in NS stuff before. Right. Because to actually hear Hitler from bona fide Nazis uh, yeah. like us <laughs> who and, and it all. It really, I think, can make a difference to people to hear have this explained directly to them. This right. isn't just this isn't Hitler or us just being mean. Right. This is us explaining how the, the hard truths of the world and therefore what to do about it. Right. Actually, I should I should throw in there too. You know, it does seem rather pretentious of us to be uh, <laughs> analyzing uh, Mein Kampf. Like, what particular claim do we have to analyze this? Um, you know, right. we're not particular historical scholars or anything. Right, right. I will tell you the one thing that we are that. Very few people are in this country, uh, and that's that we actually have experience with a lot of this stuff. True. We have direct experience of a lot of these things. And, you know, both of us have put our money where our mouth is mm. uh, for the National Socialist Worldview. Uh, for the uh, so the grand swastika maybe, in the sky. Maybe some, maybe some nerd out there can come and contest with me or you. <laughs> that, oh, well, you know, technically. Uh, well, actually. Yeah, actually. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually. But, but Hitler already talked about that. Right. Hitler those, already those said political that. political nerds just yeah, need to get you're the hell nerd, out. nerd. Yeah, nerd. Like, you know, it's like, nerd. well, okay, cool. It's like, I love your theory, but what's the practice behind that? You know, like, yeah. again, a... Uh, Hitler does also it's not in this section I I um there's another part where he talks about the difference between a theoretician and a politician right right and he talks he specifically says a theoretician has great value mm. but a theoretician ought to be 
uh, judged on the abstract truth of his construct. Mm -hmm. So if you say, well, you pick some theoretician, say, uh, let's say, let's say Hitler. And you say, well, Hitler is a bad theoretician. I mean, Hitler was a politician too, but he was right, also right. a theoretician. Uh, let's say Hitler's a bad theoretician because National Socialism in Germany failed. Does not follow. Right. Like it, his, his, his political construct and his worldview is either correct or it isn't. Right. Um, and then if we're judging him as a politician, maybe that's a valid criticism. But again, like we said earlier, like five biggest empires in the world versus one yeah, man. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, he, he did he the best <laughs> pretty, he literally could. Pretty, man. Pretty, pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it's so much so that the Jews are still crying about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? The man's been dead for like nearly 100 years and they're still crying about it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So. Yeah, no half measures. As Hitler yep. in Hitler Rise of Evil says, my favorite Hitler, <laughs> compromise is not possible. <laughs> that is a very point number three, compromise is movie. not possible. It's a very radical movie. Everybody should kind of uh, watch that. It's a, it's a fun one. It's it's actually like what's funny about most of these Hitler movies is they're not meant to actually glorify Hitler, but they do anyway. Because yeah, you, you can't I mean, there's, not. There, there's, you, there's, there'll be like little bits where it's like just stupid, like stupid attacks on Hitler. But for the right. most part, it's just him being awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so you know you can't really you can't really fight history without that all right we are on number four of hitler's tactical recommendations for a movement the soul of the people can only be won if along with carrying on a positive struggle for our own aims we destroy the opponent in these aims the people at all times see the proof of their own right in ruthless attack on a foe and to them, renouncing the destruction of the adversary seems like uncertainty with regard to their own right, if not a sign of their own on right. So this is why we always denounce conservatives and say that they suck. Uh, <laughs> this is why we were talking shit on uh, Nick Fuentes. Yeah. Um, because we actually believe in these things. And that's why anybody who opposes these things is an enemy. <laughs> the broad masses are only a piece of nature. Uh, and their sentiment does not understand the mutual handshake of people who claim that they want the opposite things. What they desire is the victory of the stronger and the destruction of the weaker or his unconditional subjugation. The nationalization of our masses will succeed only when, aside from the positive struggle for the soul of the people, their international poisoners are uh, rooted out. Jews. Yes. So, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, now, in this translation, it says exterminated. Now, this is like the one. <laughs> this is the one point where, yes, this is uh, Ralph Mannheim playing a trick on you because the German says Ausgehalten, which yeah. means, I mean, I guess in the the literal number one definition is rooted out, right? Uh, and exterminated is the Latin way of saying brought to an end, right? It's just Latin for brought to an end, but it's used in English to mean uh, you talk about bugs being exterminated, uh, killed off. So there's an implication in the English word that is not present in the German original that right. is important. But generally speaking, the rest of this translation is good. That's like the biggest blunder I've come across. Uh, yeah, there's certain words that are like that, but it's not really that big of a deal. But the point still stands. Like you can't have uh, Jewish power or Jewish influence within your society and hope to achieve anything else. Right. No, honestly, like this one's we kind of we kind of we kind of discussed most of point four kind of throughout the the discussions of the other ones earlier. But there was the point, a um, little paragraph in the center of four uh, here. It's the broad masses are only a piece of nature, and their sentiment does not understand the mutual handshake of people who claim that they want the opposite things. Right. You see John Kerry and George Bush or Hillary Clinton and Trump shaking hands. Yeah. What the fuck. 
So it's, like, yeah, I mean, are you? I mean, that that confuses me. Well, you and I know damn well. well we, why, we know but, damn well that they're on the same damn team, <laughs> right? But. Yeah. Um, but to to the average people, and, and the thing is that they, it's easier for them to bury their heads about that kind of stuff. Like when they see pictures of Trump and Hillary shaking hands or laughing over cocktails or whatever, yeah. and then like saying vitriolic stuff about them about each other in a debate, and they're like, "Well, he obviously hates her. He's just playing politics behind the scenes." It was no, he's not. It's he's playing politics in front of you. Yeah, right. Like it's you have it backwards. Effectively, is what the yeah. deal is here. And so I, there's I don't know. I, there's those are kind of debates that need to be had, honestly, of how to fix that problem i think with the broad masses but uh that's that's again that's part of the thing is like that's part of as, as a states here it's a they're a piece of nature oh this here's another thing so whenever you hear people in our circles talk about say tucker carlson in a positive light now over cocktails perhaps in a very quiet room with two other people at most <laughs> well tucker's a son of a bitch but he did make a good point, and maybe we should use this too. That's a strategy discussion, and that can maybe happen first. But no, that never happens. Fuck <laughs> Tucker Carlson, he's a piece of shit, and a traitor, and an enemy of the, uh, the American people. Hot take. No, he fucking sucks. <laughs> like, if he actually believed in anything he was saying, and I firmly believe this, this isn't just me posing, right. uh, this is actually what I believe. If he really believed in anything that he was saying and really had the interest of the American uh, people at heart, he would simply go on his show one day and say, you know what? Fuck this. This is bullshit. It's the Jews. He would say, I don't know, pick, just pick one, one great political truth. And that's probably the most, the greatest one. Yep. Just say that. Say it on national TV, live, however, you know, however you arrange that. Yep. He has the power to do it and take what comes with it. He hasn't got the guts to take what comes and with that's, it that's because he'd lose point. all his millions of dollars and he'd lose his platform and his social status. He couldn't walk around in his nice coat and tie. Well, now, hold I, on, Greg. Didn't earlier uh, Hitler say that there is no social sacrifice that is too great? You know, like... No, that's a, exactly what you Hitler know? said. That's, that's why I hate Tucker Carlson you because know? he won't make the social sacrifice. You know, and there you go. So, that's the deal. And then, so, to finish off that paragraph there uh, in point four is what they desire is the victory of the stronger and the destruction of the Wait, weak. sorry. One more thing Wait, with that. Oh, sorry. It's the ancient Germanic concept all societies are based on but the idea of uh, put your money where your mouth is right this is this is people in American politics have this cope like well you know you don't need to spend all your money you could uh, you could succeed in politics and also like succeed in money like, no, no you can't no you can't no you can't not until, until you have become the dictator and even then even then, even then. <laughs> you, you can't be an effective dictator if you're also seen to be profiting from it you right. can't you know you can't be a good popular leader dictator in the classical Roman sense right. of the word. I think Hitler the, had like two houses. That was it. Like yeah, Hitler, Hitler retired, wanted to retire. I mean, he never got to retire, but he, right. if he was, if he ever did retire, he was only going to do it on a mid-level civil servant salary. Well, that on top of that, he, it's like his, he did have a nice house in the Obersalzburg. That's it. And just hang out in the because mountain. This, this, this is the most intrinsic thing to people. Like people understand this. Like at Bernie the Sanders basis, buying 80 houses with his. People understand money. this at the basis level mm. that, you're not serious about something if you're not willing to put everything on the line for it. Mm -hmm. All corporations are in Clatton before LLCs right. are based on this principle. Uh, all business, like if you succeed in business, you make money. Yeah. If you don't put all of your money on the line, you lose everything. Right. It's the same thing in the courts. The entire court system is based on this principle. The idea that you cannot introduce evidence without a witness there who's going to stand there and say, I agree that this evidence is true. I was right. there. I saw that evidence. They that, swear that in thing, court. Yeah. I swear to you that this thing is, is a legitimate piece of evidence. It's a, a true transcript. It's a photograph that I saw. I'm there. Whatever. Or that I took. Yeah. And They're so putting their reputation on the line. Everything is backed by reputation mm -hmm. in court. And there's a very good reason for that. And, and you know, in 
with like, um, I don't know, an academic disputation, perhaps something can be introduced that is not, um, is not backed by a witness because everyone agrees that we're trying to find the truth here and we're, we're having a debate to figure out what the truth is. That's different. Right. Uh, when we're talking about politics, we're talking about the highest stakes, who runs the society, right. who decides who gets to have what social position, what money, uh, what rights, what duties. Yeah. The biggest questions, obviously, those cannot be decided by somebody who isn't willing to risk everything. Right. Because, well, that's the issue we see today. I mean, look at look at look at the the the, the degradation of the United States over the years. Back in the day, you had generals and you had politicians oh, right, that were ready. I mean, George Washington and all of them. Oh, like, yeah. Obviously, we're going to be hanged if they, they lost. They literally risked everything, like all of it. There are states, and, and that's the thing. People like people may might not realize this, but I mean, some people do. But the founding fathers were they they had social standing. They were aristocrats at the time. Yeah. I mean, Washington had, you know, like plantations and everything else in Virginia. Had he lost, he put all of that on the line. His wife, everything else. Like, had he lost yeah, his, that. His kids were going to be poor. Like, he was going to be executed. His kids would have been killed, too. They would. Yeah. The, the crown would have totally just strung them all up, you know, the whole thing. So, they, they would have burned his fucking crops. They would have Did killed they? his kids. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably. Like For him know. specifically, for him specifically, yeah, yeah for sure. He's Maybe back, not everybody that was involved, but still. I don't know if that's still. There used to be something called... Um, Oh, God, it was called Poison of the Blood or Blood Treason or something. Right, yeah. It was the concept that if you're the son of a traitor, you two are a traitor. Right, yeah. And it, it now, the crown, the crown might not have was, done it. I don't know. Maybe they'd done away with that by then. But well, even point, if, your, your point stands. Yeah, like, even if George III wasn't going to go after his family or whatever the heck, the other loyalists that were in Virginia would have. Because we saw that happen throughout the Civil War or the Revolutionary War, right? Like, you right. had brothers and sisters and killing each other, neighbor to neighbor or whatever the hell else. Um, so, that that's that was – you're talking about putting literally everything on the line here. Um, and then just to, to finish off that, that last uh, sentence in that paragraph, that um, point four that I was talking talking about is what they desire is the victory of the stronger and the destruction of the weak or his unconditional subjection and that's that's like the point here is that it is an all or nothing thing you have to like the people the people the basic people right the working class people want to see you win they want to see you win. They want to see the stronger side win, which is, right. the, you know, that was the whole point of Trump and everything else. Because strongness like that. tends to correlate with goodness. Yeah, but then this goes to his point in the, in the other part. In the other part of that paragraph, they are part of nature. They are a piece of nature. It is natural that you want the strongest to win. You want the alpha to win. We talked about this earlier. You want to see the the natural leader lead that's like just a, a it's a, it's it's almost we're almost over explaining this um because it's, it's just a natural understanding of things you want power to be in the hands of the powerful that's how it's supposed to be yeah because if it's in the hands of jews then there's going to be all sorts of injustices that are perpetrated on everybody of course you know, because a weak person has a weak, to, a weak because a weak person fears that an alpha might actually displace them. Right. And if that ever happens, then they're they're gonna have to live in a modest middle class house. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't get actual champagne. <laughs> oh no, I don't get to bang tranny prostitutes and no, uh, like trade and, like, kids do, with do Epstein. Quaaludes. Oh no, uh, my 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 child uh, sex slavery ring is fell apart. Oh you know, no, like, but yeah, no, that's the problem. Is that like. So people are of nature and they naturally understand these these intrinsic truths, which is that power comes from alpha mentalities and alpha alpha genetics, um, which is honestly why Trump won over Hillary. Yeah. Like, I hate to say it, but that is why, you know, mm-hmm. and then he does, he does have that real alpha energy. But you know, he, not to say that he is. He turns fact, it over but, to his Jew right, uh, nephew. So which, but that, but that was part of the lie. That was part of the great lie of that whole thing. Right. And then so that that then brings us to uh, point five. Okay, point five. 
All great questions of the day are questions of the moment and represent only consequences of definite causes. Only one among them, however, passes, uh, possesses causal importance, and that is the question of the racial preservation of the nation. In the blood alone resides the strength as well as the weakness of man. As long as peoples do not recognize and give heed to the importance of their racial foundation, they are like men who would like to teach poodles the qualities of greyhounds, failing to realize that the speed of the greyhound, like the docility of the poodle, are not learned but are qualities inherent to the breed. Peoples which renounce the preservation of their racial purity renounce it renounce with it the unity of their soul and all of its expressions. Mm -hmm. Now this, uh, I'm going to stop there because this all sounds kind of mean. Um, It's so real though. (laughs) But but it's true. I mean, even, look, I I am part uh, Italian and part uh, Central Northern European German, Mm. right? Kind of sucks. I wish I was, I wish I was one or the other. I'd feel less conflicted. How, you know, as Nazis, I, I feel great sympathy for mulattoes. For people of mixed oh, race. Oh, yeah. That's, that's very, horrible. Yeah. It's like your yeah. parents did something awful to you. Yeah. By making you, because you're part of no community. Yeah. You're not really a black. You're not really a white. You're robbed. You are robbed of an identity. You truly are. Um, same thing with half, uh, half Asian, half whites. I mean, uh, any, yeah. any mixing of the races is intrinsically cruel to the offspring. It is. Um, and it, it's, it's, uh, immoral and it goes to this 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 in immediate pleasure stuff we were talking about earlier you're in de- you're in engaging in these these basal hedonist nonsense or whatever and it's like okay you just want to go have sex with these other races right. well and you know and you people, people oh, nazis just want to like kill all mulattoes it's like no we uh, want to forbid people from do it from creating mulattoes yeah like you you are going to this is cruel breed, breed with somebody of your own kind so that your offspring is not standing athwart two communities yeah, it's in limbo constantly and, and on top of that they're rejected by both communities i mean look look at look at half breeds uh for blacks i mean unfortunately if we we're looking at for as in the united right, states they call them light-skinned and they make fun of them they do i mean look, look i've and, seen i've seen this firsthand yeah like, the, there's a there's a there's a major disparity between blacks regarding you know dark skin light skin or like you know who's pure african right, and right. who's mixed and also it's like look look at the, the division that that causes which is obviously the, the plan right, right? So you know, obviously the point of, yeah, of encouraging like mccallagy plan but you know the point is is that that I uh, yeah that's that is that is cruel that is is against nature as we were talking about nature earlier this is like an antithetical thing to nature itself so yeah if you've race mixed um you fucked up and <laughs> uh you should you should you know stop doing it yeah like, not do like that. obviously like we we as nazis <laughs> understand <laughs> people fuck up like we've all done things that are wrong mostly mostly because we lived in an evil jewish society and that Hitler told, that told that. us these things were good yeah I have, you know, we've not race mixed, right? Uh, thankfully, but, but no, Hitler, Hitler says that specifically about anybody who comes to national socialism from the filth of civilization is like emerging from a bog, and they will need to cleanse themselves, wash themselves off of the filth of civilization that they came from. It's just, it's just part and parcel with it. You, like, we yeah. have grown up and raised in Jewish filth. civilization. Jewish civilization. We we have been raised in filth. We are when we emerge from the filth, there's going to be a cleansing period. You're going to have to clean yourself off. You got yeah. there's going to be a time where you walk to the shower and then clean yourself off. You know, and <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> all right, that's not what I meant. But, <laughs> um, but yes, continuing then. <laughs> uh, the divided state of the nature of people who are mixed race is the natural consequence of the divided state of their blood, and the change in their intellectual and creative force is only uh, the effect of the change of their racial foundations. Uh, anyone who wants to free the German blood from the manifestations and vices of today which were originally alien to its nature, will first have to redeem it from the uh, foreign virus of these manifestations. So what that's 
Hitler's talking about a, a vastly different situation, of course. I mean, there there was there were true mulattoes and race mixed people in Germany at the time. They were very rare. Yeah. Um, there were the Rhineland bastards and some other things. Thanks, France. Yeah. But what he's mainly talking about is uh, actually a, the, a race problem on a much smaller scale, which is just the mixing of different types of Europeans. Right, right, right. Um, which is is kind of ethnic and cultural, you know, uh, genocide at a point, you know, right. if, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so he's he is against the mixing of uh, people of what they used to call Nordic uh, blood with Mediterraneans and with Alpines, people of different uh, physical qualities, different uh, cultural backgrounds. He right. wants to keep keep them separate. Yeah. Uh, on the for the whole on the whole right yeah, yeah. on the whole and then okay next paragraph uh, without the clearest knowledge of the racial problem and hence of the Jewish problem there will never be a resurrection of the German nation well he, yeah he's also talking about mixing between Jews and, and Aryans that, right this hence is, Nuremberg laws yeah um, uh, and that that he of course sees as a great crime hmm. uh, the racial question gives uh, the key not only to world history but also to human culture right and as we as basically anyone in our sphere of thinking understands already that's one of the that's one of the easiest ones for most of us to understand is that society is a racial construct race is not a Tip- social yeah, typically construct political groups are going to function better when everybody is related it, wow distantly related well, no way it, it, which is a racial group they're <laughs> right of course they're all distantly related to each other yeah whereas you're we're all I don't know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years separated from a pure African. Right, of course. Uh, with a European, it's you know, prob- probably second or third cousins, effectively. Right. And fourth, fifth cousins, yeah. maybe. That's why. That's also why you're able to have a code of conduct and warfare between European nations, right? Like between the French and the Germans, the Italians, the Spanish, and the, the English, and all this other stuff. We're able to have these, these kind of like cousin fights, right? Where we understand... The mutual things. That's also why it's very difficult for us to have these types of, of rules of warfare uh, with other with other races and other cultures, with the Africans, the Asians, and everything else like that. So we have a, a, a big issue with uh, with with mutual mutual conflict with the uh, with the Middle Easterners, unfortunately. Uh, LOL. I, I wrote under under the line here: peoples which renounce their preservation, the preservation of their racial purity, renounce it. Unity, uh, whatever. I wrote <laughs> Meghan Markle. <laughs> oh, that is that is unfortunately one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Uh, that's uh, what, what was this? Was Prince Harry, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like he is the most cucked <laughs> guy that we I think like in the Prince Western Ginger, world. Mary, yeah, uh, it's so sad. Oh my god! And and I what what but we all know that it's all a farce. That they talk about white privilege and everything else like that while she's sitting on literally like the throne. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. So, but yeah, that kind of uh, that's kind of that. Um, as far as as far as points are concerned, then. Well, let's see. Uh, the point six is like two pages long. Yeah, maybe we <laughs> should jump into that with the next one then. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's. To uh, wrap up here, so Hitler's main point. Let's talk. Let's let's actually have that discussion where we apply this to the American political right, conditions. A real wrap up here. First of all, uh, as we pointed out at the beginning, the you know, Hitler's emphasizing working class. You need to go. Working class people need to, to be the basis of a movement. Mm-hmm. You can have some in- intellectuals as long as they work out. Right. Uh, <laughs> you need a few. You shouldn't. You can't be a luddite movement. You can't be anti-intellectual. But right. generally speaking, you need working class people. What is what does that look like in America? Because, like we said, you can't. They've specifically designed America so that you can't do a national socialist revolution among the urban working class because right. there is, for all intents and purposes, no urban working class. Mm-hmm. 
you almost have to go out into the countryside and start organizing in small towns and work your way in on the cities. Uh, is really the only way to actually follow or to apply Hitler's strategy to right. America. So that's that is the kind of thing, though. Is is, is that where where does it you know where does it lead? Well, well how the do we... other the other thing too. So Hitler talks about leftists, right? Now we let's exclude Antifa for a second. It's funny. I had a dream last night where I was like, some Antifa were attacking me. I was like, got into an elevator. Some Antifa were attacking me. But so it was like, a good dream, right? Yeah, it was a good dream. They were like, they were, they were like. I basically just like held on to the guy because he was like kind of shitty at attacking, and I just started like telling him why he should be a Nazi. <laughs> it was a premonition, Greg. I don't know. It was weird, and then they started fornicating, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I just like with left the, with the leftists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They just started fucking each other, and yeah, I was like, "Yeah, this is gross." And I, I somehow like got away. I, it was. Maybe that's maybe that's a a, a, a a metaphor for what what life is actually like. It's like you try to explain to these people about national socialism, and they're they just, just engaged in buttfuckery instead. They do. That's, that's <laughs> like, exactly what they do. You know. <laughs> so leaving leaving them out of the out of the discussion for a second. Uh, I think if Hitler were looking at the situation today mm-hmm. in America, he would identify you know of course working class white males. He would identify military veterans. Yep. But he would also say, you know what your other core group is? College kids. All oh, yeah. college kids. White. Because that's white, basically working class these days that anyway. is, that is, all, you know, it's not like the old days where those were only your your bourgeoisie went to college. Right, now yeah. everybody goes to college and gets, like, raped in debt. Right. No shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So lots of people are going to college who are working class or who will become working class. And they're also... Not leftists, but like that's what they've been for the most part brought up with because they haven't really necessarily thought about. We say the word "groomed." I think you don't. You don't really think about it for the most part. I mean, there's a few people who maybe turn up to college as as conservatives or or radicals of some kind, but for the most part, people are just generic. Yeah, but then they they leave with uh, nose and nipple piercings and pink hair. Yeah. (laughs) So you can tell though that the system is specifically prevented anybody like us from going to colleges. George Lincoln Rockwell, uh, commander of the American Nazi Party, uh, greatest American of all time. Uh, God rest his soul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he used to give speeches at colleges all the time. Mm-hmm. This was back in the 60s and this was possible and free speech laws were being what they were. It's actually real. No, no, you know, Antifa or there was Antifa, but like the police kept things under control. Right. You could actually do that back then. He did dozens of these college tours. I mean, he did them all over the place. And there's some recordings you can still find of some of his talks where he's talking to a, a leftist kind of liberal but curious audience uh, wearing a swastika armband. <laughs> um, that has been tried recently. And as, as uh, you know, you know, yes. uh, as we all know, that is much more difficult because the system will not let you do it. Right. They do not want you going to colleges and spreading, uh, you know, you put up, anything you, antithetical you to the mainstream. You put up stickers yeah. at a college. You get, I mean, I'm banned from yeah. <laughs> like a couple schools for life. But you're for, lucky you're not in jail for that kind of actually, stuff. Actually, no, right? my, I'm banned from American University until, actually, I think like last week. I think I'm actually good to go back. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, they, no they, foreshadowing. They, there are all kinds of institutional obstacles to uh, political agitation at colleges. Mm-hmm. Colleges are not free, are anti-free speech zones. So that is like a key problem for any 
actual political movement in America is how do you how do you crack that? And it's not, you know, it's it's one thing to like put out podcasts, do shit on the internet, like that's nice, right? Um, but like you really got to get with people. I mean, that's Hitler's all about that. You gotta, oh yeah, you got to have direct experience networking with is stupid important beyond anything else. Well, like, meetings. Well, meetings, meetings. You know, well, IRL. But, but those are those are life. those are tied together. Like when you're at meetings, you need to be networking, right? Like don't just go and like clap and be like, yeah, it's a really cool thing, and put the pin on, and then go home and forget about it. Like be there, network with people, get get involved. You know. Yeah. Yes. So working class, mm-hmm. uh, white males, of course. Military veterans is another group that. You know, I, there used to be a lot more veterans around. I remember in like the 16, 17 era, I mean, Charlottesville, yeah. you had a ton of guys who were veterans. Mm-hmm. Now I've noticed there's less so. I mean, there still are some, but it's not as high. Well, it's the thing is if you don't have enough organization, they, people get burned out or they get disillusioned with things. I, there's that. Uh, I think it's, I mean, there's organizational reasons primarily, I think, for the lack of uh, or for the lesser amount of veterans. Right. Um, I think, I mean, there also was just sort of political exuberance back in 16 and 17. So you were getting guys. The great thing about veterans is that they like plug into organizations really well. Right. Uh, this is like a, a problem, a unique problem to America that people don't function very well in groups <laughs> because they've never been taught how to do it. Right. Except for guys who were in the military or people who played high school sports. Yeah. Or high, uh, high school sports, military or what? Well, uh, you make the point of usually of uh, corporatism. Some people, yeah, some people who have been in management in like big government or big corporations, or who have had fairly successful medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than just like a small, a five-person small business, like a yeah. real managing, like a fairly large business. Um, you know, think of maybe a few people I've ever encountered like that. Generally speaking, though, yeah, military or like sports. Yep. <laughs> team team activities. Team activities. Uh, so many Americans are, and I don't know if this is as true in Europe. I feel like it isn't, but so many Americans are really, really bad at functioning in groups. Well, it's two- also it's. I would also say that it has to do with how our system is set up, like our our our, our civilization. Everything's not people friendly here. Like back in, in Europe, everybody can kind of walk to their neighbors and everything else like that. Like you know, there's a lot of. Um, so you're going to have to have that team mentality more so because you know your butcher, you know your tailor, you know everybody else that's around the town. Um, as compared to here, where it's like you can go even in in a city, you can be completely isolated from everybody around you. You know, yeah. um, which again, the, the the problem with the United States, I think, mostly has to reside in the uh, the sheer indoctrination of the concept of individualism that has been rampant in this this country for the past probably yeah. two hundred no. years. I think. Yeah. So this is where, you know, we only got through the first uh, five points. This is, we talked about, I guess, we did about eight pages of this chapter and read a lot of it. I, we are going to go through the rest of this. It's probably going to take another two episodes, I think, to go through the rest of this chapter. Mm-hmm. But this chapter is absolutely brilliant. And maybe not for a person who's first becoming red pill, it probably would be sort of obscure. And it's a little heavy for that. But somebody who's actually participated in politics, you know, been to an, a meeting or been to a street rally or something, you start to, reading this, you really start to see how things have to be done and how things aren't being done and haven't been done in America. Well, I mean, I guess you could say Pierce or Rockwell. Uh, Pierce and Rockwell knew this stuff. And Rock- Rockwell read this book. I mean, I don't know about Pierce. I'm sure he did as well. But Rockwell read this like a dozen times. Right. Like he knew this stuff backwards and forwards. A Bible. Uh, and so, yeah. 
Uh, but I highly recommend any of our readers, uh, if you don't own a copy of Mind Comp, you're wrong. Our listeners, yeah, if you don't own a copy of Mind Comp, you're wrong. You just go out and grab one, though, if you don't have one. Uh, you can feel free to follow along with us in these episodes and, and read over this stuff. It's extremely important, but I highly recommend anybody listening to to definitely read the book. It's it's just one of those things that is imperative. Yeah. So, until next time, Hal Hitler. Thank you.